So I honestly believe for you guys that the best is yet to come. And uh, one thing that's, that I'm throwing in for free here, it's not really part of what I was, uh, what I was preparing, but I really just felt it's, it's stirring in my heart as I was preparing my, my message and that is in Philippians, uh, God, uh, Paul writes this message to this church. And it's all centered around Christ. It's all centered around on, on Christ's uh, 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 divinity and how great He is and how He needs to be at the center. And uh, it, it speaks of... Um, yeah, it just speaks of the bigness, and uh, it mentions this word. Uh, the Greek means the same thing for joy, rejoice, being content in Christ, and uh, that that it's either the Greek word is mentioned 16 times in Philippians, but uh, it's uh, it's translated as joy, rejoice, or content. And if you read Philippians, it comes up often, and I and I believe God is speaking to you guys as a church of building a dream. Building a dream in Christ. And uh, in Philippians, it goes on and it says, uh, it, it just highlights a whole bunch of things. And, and I'm just going to run through them very quickly. Uh, you guys can go back and you can, and, and you can look at these things. But in Philippians, it says this. The first thing is, it says in, in, one, in Philippians 1 verse 21, it says, I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to say what I feel is that our dreams and the dreams that God wants you to dream for this church and for this community have to be centered in Christ. Have to have Christ at the center. Everything that you do has to. It says there, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Is If Christ is at the center, we're able to do everything. That has to be the motivation. In uh, Philippians 4 verse 11, we see that this uh, uh, dream leans to being content in Christ. So if Christ is at the center, no matter what we face and no matter what comes against us, we are content. If people look at a, at a church community, it should be a community that's content because we have Christ in our, in our hearts. Uh, in Philippians 3 verse 8, it speaks of, it says this, uh, Consider everything as lost. Consider everything as lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. So we have to consider everything. We have to weigh everything up as, as, as is it for the kingdom? Yes or no? Well, I'm going to lose that for the sake of the kingdom. And, and it filters down in everywhere. What job am I going to take for the sake of the king and his kingdom? Who am I going to marry for the sake of the kingdom? What choice am I going to do for the sake of the kingdom? Be a people that consider everything for the sake of the kingdom. And then the fourth thing is uh, in, in chapter, uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, uh, we have to, it says, continue to work out your salvation. Is This is a, 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 a work that God wants to continue throughout the generations. You're not establishing something for the now. It's not a temporal thing. It's not a, it's not a drug fix now and then that's it. You don't make decisions now. You dream dreams so this can continue for, your, for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation to inherit everything God's got for them. And then the fifth thing in verse, uh, chapter 3 verse 20, uh, it has to be a dream that is birthed in understanding that our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. Our citizenship, everything we do, we are striving towards this goal of being citizens of, 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 of heaven, of pointing people to Christ, of living our lives not, not satisfied with this world, but only going to be satisfied with Christ and uh, being with Him. So I dream, and what I mean by dreams is, is it's, it's what God's got for you. This man is full of dreams. This couple are full of dreams. 
I've never met a man who dreams so much. God speaks to him. But I mean, I don't think many of you are on the same page. Because you've lost the dream that God's got for you. God's put dreams inside of our hearts. God's put dreams and desires and prophetic inheritance that, that we have to align to what God's doing here and pursue everything. So that was, that was the free bit. <laughs> now you're going to have to start paying. <coughs> so I am... Um, there's a prophetic picture that I... I um, I'm coming to terms with it. I'm leading my, uh, the, 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 the site that I'm able to lead with my leaders. I, I'm leading them and trying to help them understand this. And I really, I try and, I, I want to use this analogy to introduce what I'm speaking about today as well. And uh, I want to use these two chairs as an example. And uh, I want to create two banks in the way that you think and the way that you process things. And even as a church, the ways you conduct yourself. And uh, any good Bible-believing church, Jesus-loving church, which I agree, you, I, I know you are. I don't have to look very, very far. It's, you guys are devoted to God's Word and devoted to Jesus. But there's two main scriptures that, 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 that incorporate everything. And uh, that's the great command to love, un, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And love your neighbor as he loves us. And the great commission to go and make disciples. And I feel that every church is called to do that. Every, every, at the heart of every church, it should be, it's going to be worked out different. In different seasons, God's going to highlight different things. But at the nuts and bolts of every church, that should be the heart. The great command to love. As Christ has loved you, you love your neighbors. And then the great uh, commission to go and make disciples with those two banks in place we trust for this river of God to be poured out we trust for this um, for this uh, expression of church that looks very different around the world but there's life and uh, I think it is in, in, in Ezekiel but it speaks about this river that comes from, uh, from, from the throne and it goes down and meets the Dead Sea and when it meets the Dead Sea there's life. Life happens. And uh, I, want you, I want to create these two banks in your mind. Is As we're processing today's message, and hopefully it will... Uh, uh, someone spoke about these Jesus-colored glasses, that each lens is, is love and making disciples. I feel everything that we teach as a local church should fit into these things. It should be, how does this... Is this helping me love my neighbor? Is this helping me encounter Jesus more so I'm able to demonstrate Jesus to everyone around me more? It's so because of that, I'm able to make disciples. Because of that, I'm able to point people to Jesus. And uh, the, the, when, I, when I speak about this living water and this, 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 this river that comes from Ezekiel, is I recently uh, was at the beach with my son, uh, Titus, and uh, he we got out the car, got onto the beach, and he just ran for the sea. He loves water. Uh, and even my little boy Knox, they love water, so they ran, ran, ran. But then all of a sudden, these waves were coming towards them, and they ran, and suddenly they just were like, whoa, let me turn around and go back. And uh, Knox is just totally, he's not interested now. But uh, Titus was intrigued by this. But uh, 
as he was stepping, he realized, oh, okay, I can stand here, and I'm enjoying this, but it looks so much better there. So he took another step, but then the water became deeper, but then these waves were becoming stronger. And he was getting knocked over, and then he didn't want to go. So I said to him, no, my boy, let, let me help you. And I said, hold daddy's hands. And we walked together. And as the waves got stronger, I was holding his hands, and he was fine. And just, let's go deeper, daddy. And we went, took another step, holding his hands, and there's some waves that are going to over, overtake him, and I just lifted him up, and then put him back down. And then we walked deeper. Until I got to the place where he couldn't stand, and lifted him up and held him, and then I carried on walking. But we're still enjoying, the, we're still enjoying and then we go under the waves and come out, and he was loving this because he had the security of knowing that I, I'm bigger than him and I can withstand the currents. I know how to read the water. I know, I know what's going on. And uh, when it comes to this river in this middle, I honestly believe that's what God wants to do with you. Is that river can be over, overwhelming at times. What God's called us to do can be overwhelming. What God has for us can be scared. It can be terrifying. And sometimes in our naive way of doing things, we run ahead and then we realize, whoa, God, this is way too big. I've got to run back. But God's saying to you, church, I'm here. I want to hold your hands and I want to walk with you. I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. Where you think things are getting too out of control, I'm not going to just throw you back onto the beach you're still going to be in the water, but I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to lower you down. You can handle this. And I think it's, it's an amazing place where you get to, where you're in so deep, you're pursuing God's kingdom so much, that you're just wrapped up in God. That God is holding you. And everything that's happening, everything that's good, and even stuff that's bad, the waves that are coming, just know you're secure, because you're in the will of the Father. So how do we work that out? How do we know the will of the Father? God's calling us to love. God's calling us to make disciples. I don't know about you. I'm not perfect. This love gets tested on a daily basis. Amen? Or am I the only one? I understand God's love for myself. I love God so much. But loving my neighbor... Being the example I need to be that Christ demands, I don't always do. So I feel that these two verses, or these two, these two challenges, are worked out in the goodness of what God's got with one verse, and that's Acts one verse eight, and it says, "You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth." And I honestly believe it's, it's as well, it's one of the most misquoted scriptures because I think that power has been put on the shelf as gifts. I'm not saying it's not. I so badly want to see dead people raised. I want to see cancers fall off. I want to see broken arms healed. I want to see all these things. I want to, I'm desperate to see uh, the gospel worked out and, and the power of God evident in these gifts but I think sometimes we misunderstand that God wants to give us a power 
to work out our Christianity every day. There's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that's not weird and wonderful. That's not, yes, if the manifestation results in me rolling on the floor or, or whatever, or laughing or joking, or, or, or not joking, laughing or falling over, that's fine. But there's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that God wants to bring His church that is uh, grounded in Christ and working out our salvation every day. I, I say this whenever I speak of this because it's, I, I use myself as an example. The greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit is, is not dead people raised. It's not blind eyes open. Those things, I desperately want to see that. But the greatest, revel, uh, um, the greatest outworking of the Holy Spirit is this sinful man waking up every day, being able to love his wife like Christ loves the church, being able to be patient and loving with his kids, being able to love my neighbor and to try my hardest to make disciples. Because I know how I am built. I know how selfish I am. So the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit, this greatest power that we see in Acts 1 verse 8, is me reconciling these two verses, walking out my Christianity in the greatness of what God's got for us. Do you guys see that? So for us to actually truly understand Acts 1 verse 8, I think it's very important for us to read Acts 1 verse 6 to 11. So if you can go there, um, it's not going to come up. I didn't give it to them. But anyway, I'm just going to read it. Acts, Acts 1 verse 6 to 11, it says, So when they had come together, they asked them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for, for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed, it, uh, fixed by His own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see, even the disciples, after many times with God and spending many years with Him, they're thinking it's, a, it's a, this, this physical kingdom that we're going to inherit. And it's, you know, even you see James and John in the Gospels saying, you know, God, how much do I have to pay to be at your right hand? And even they struggle to understand this. But God wants to do something in us to establish His kingdom in us every day. And we see it in four statements that He says in Acts 1 verse 6 to 11. He says this. In verse 4 it says, we see that there's going to be a promise from the Father. In verse 5 it says, Holy Spirit baptism. In verse 8 it says, we're going to receive power and when it comes upon you. So there's four, there's four ways that God wants us to inherit His kingdom. There's four ways uh, that we need to understand that God's going to work through us in power so we can demonstrate His kingdom. We need to understand the first thing is that it's a promise from the Father. That this, this is something that the Father has promised us. It's not a good idea. It is a promise. That it's not... If, if, if we love Jesus Christ, there's a promise that He, he said to the disciples, I'm going up that the Holy Spirit's going to be sent out. There's this promise that He's giving us everything to pursue His kingdom and to establish His kingdom on earth. Are we satisfied with that? Are we satisfied with the promise that He says? And obviously He says, it leads on that the promise, the second thing, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, too often we look somewhere else. Too often we want another experience. No, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is everything you need. Giving your heart to the Lord is this, this, uh, this reconnection to God. It's this, 
this, this, this, this ability to be able to be justified. But the moment we are filled by Spirit, God gives us everything to be able to inherit His kingdom. That moment there, you're an ambassador of Christ. That moment you give your heart to the Lord, you're an ambassador of Christ. And as soon as He has filled you with the Spirit, it's almost like nothing should hold us back. But when I go back to these experiences and these weird and wonderful ways, no, it's the reality of working this thing out. Thing out. Yes, there's going to be these moments of, of more infilling and greater times and, and healings and signs and wonders and miracles. But actually it's a power to work out your Christianity every day. To love your neighbor and to make disciples. And then we, the, 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 the third and the fourth thing is we see that we receive power when it comes upon us. So with these four things in mind, with these four uh, uh, sort of statements Jesus makes to the disciples, He says, you're going to receive everything in these four ways to be able to be my witnesses. So then we get to what we're going to be preaching on today. And that's honestly, uh, I believe God is, 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 is saying that uh, with understanding this power, Acts 1 verse 8, in the middle of this, what God's called us to do with these banks of what we're trying to do, there's a way we should live. And I want to look at that in Acts 5, verse um, 13, 16. And it's the, it's the parable of, uh, of uh, Jesus teaching about, the, of, about being salt and light. And um, the reason why is that I've been keeping, like a, I keep track of your church and what God's doing with you. And I love the way that, um, that you've been going through the, the Lord's Prayer. But there's, some, there's, there's a part that stood out for me when I was praying for you guys. And that's why when Mark said, would you like to us preach? I was like, yes. Is that when it says in verse 10 of uh, chapter 6, when, God says to, when Jesus says to the disciples, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a statement out there that's, that might be, you know, fairy dust later on it's your will be done in me so your kingdom can come through me and I can demonstrate your kingdom to everyone around me and as individuals if we're doing that we will establish God's kingdom wherever we go and it's just this I think someone did the did the maths that if um if every person reaches three people uh, it would take something like a year for your community to be reached I think it was something like that. So if we are able to demonstrate God's kingdom to three people, what's a knock-on effect going to be like that? So how do we do that? I'm, I'm a very practical guy. I like to break things down to very practical ways. How do we be kingdom ambassadors? How do we establish God's kingdom on earth? We have everything in love of Jesus, loving our neighbors, disciples, making disciples, this power in this middle to work all these out. But practically, how does it work? And I believe it is in Matthew 5 when Jesus teaches the disciples. And He says this. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Uh, you, are, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hindered. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But understand that it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to the to your Father who is in heaven. So we're going to look at it in two very very uh, quick and easy ways, looking at what what it means to be salt and what it means to be life. So there's two things that salt does. Two things. Salt brings about change and it preserves things. You add salt to food, you will taste it. And they used to uh, salt meat so they could preserve it, so they could bring it on ships and travel with it, so they could eat it. When we look at the first thing, is uh, what does it mean to be salt? How do we bring about this, this change? I'm not very educated, but uh, sodium chloride, apparently, which is the, 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 the scientific name for salt, is the most stable chemical compound there is. The only way sodium chlor- uh, uh, chloride changes is when you add an impurity to it. So you have to add something to salt to change it. Otherwise, it will change everything else. And I think that if we understand that, that we are called to be the salt, well, at salvation you, are, you have everything, but what are you adding to your life to take that away? We want to bring about change in this world. We want to be that, that difference. Well, what impurities have you added to your life that's stopping you from being salty? Uh, the rabbis, do the, the Hebrew word for, for uh, that phrase, being salty, was um, they would say it's, it's, it would equate to the same as saying you've been, you, you're foolish. You're foolish. So if someone was acting like a fool or, or being, being an idiot, uh, sorry, I don't know if that's a bad good word but uh, being an idiot the rabbis would be like they'll just say this phrase in Hebrew and it would be you've just lost your saltiness you're not salty anymore and what it says in the word is when you've lost your saltiness you're good for nothing you should be trampled underneath so almost like saying uh, you've lost your influence in this world you're good for nothing you've lost Christ at the center you've lost the ability to change things around you to, to be a kingdom ambassador good for nothing just be trampled out uh, Jesus speaks about abiding in him and he uses the vine and trees as analogies and he says if you don't bear fruit get cut off and thrown into the fire it's a sober reality that we need to we need to apply to our lives is are we salty are we still rema- ma- maintaining our saltiness if we are truly saying your kingdom come your will be done Lord has has God's kingdom come in our own hearts? Is His world being worked out in our lives? Because that's how we're going to be salty. That's how we're going to be remain salty. Uh, RVG Tosca, a theologian, says this uh, when, he, when he made the statements about, uh, about being the salt. It says, Being the salt means to be the moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low and constantly changing and even non-existent. To be the moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing, and even non-existent. That's what we're called to do. That's what the church is called to do. The church, people should, should uh, and that, that gap's getting bigger. The, church, the, the world should look at the church and they should see life. What it, what it means to, what morality means is what the, the world's looking for. The world's looking for, uh, and you see it over Facebook, 10 ways to be a better gentleman, 17 ways to do this, 15 ways to be a greater housewife. They're looking for some sort of value and morality because they've removed God. Well, when they look at the church, they should find everything. 
They should find a people that are, that are preserving life. There should be life with Jesus in our lives. We should, there should be morality. There should be how we should live. Ladies should be treated right. We should be gentlemen. We should, be, we should conduct ourselves in a great way. There should be honor. There should be everything that we see about living by the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Joy. I'm not saying we float above and it's this holy, you know, it's, it's, it's real. It's real people who love Jesus Christ and are trying to be examples. Mark 9, verse 40, uh, 42, verse 250 uh, says this For everyone will be salted with fire. Uh, salt is good, but if the salt has lost, it, lost its saltiness, how will it make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. So it's, it's a, I'm going to read that again and just add something in there. It says, verse 49, it says, For everyone will be salted with fire. And speaking of a final purification, salvation will bring through a final purification when we're glorified in heaven. There will be a final separation. You can act like you want. You can put on a good facade. But there's a final judgment that's going to come to all of us. And it will be separated. Who's salty and who's not. Do you have Jesus in your life or, do you, or don't you? And then it goes on and says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, um, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Have salt in your, with yourself. It speaks of sanctification. It, pre, it speaks of this constant process of working out the gospel. It's understanding that we are saved by what Jesus did on the cross. Hallelujah. We are justified automatically. You will not be held responsible for your sins because of Jesus. And then we see at the end, we're going to be, be glorified. When we get to heaven, we will be glorified and we will be reunited with God and everything will make sense. But there's this process to get from there to here and that's called sanctification. And it's not okay just to live and do what you want and conduct yourself like you want. It says... Uh, have salt in yourself. Be sanctified so you can be at peace with one another. How are you living your life? Are you at peace with one another? Or when they think of you, they think of strife, ugliness, not peace. We individually take up this, this role and work this out. What a difference this church can make. The next thing it says, it says the light of the world. So what does it mean to be the light of the world? And the first thing I want to see is in verse 16. I'm looking at it a little bit differently. It says this. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, again, we look at salvation and we understand that uh, salvation happens. We are glorified. I mean, we are justified for our sins. But often we neglect, we think, no, I'm not going to do anything good because I'm saved. I don't have to do anything good. No, no, actually it says there, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Actually, because of salvation, because we're saved, there's good works. We want to do good. We want to count in the kingdom. Why? So we can get a naughty badge and say, well done. Or people can remember our name. Or how about so Jesus can be known? How about 
so the Father who is in heaven can be glorified. How about that? I want to put a little asterisk. I just want to very briefly look at, at a couple, two people, Priscilla and Aquila. They were friends of Paul's. Paul had a great relationship with them. Um, and there's, 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 there's four things that Paul says about them in different scriptures, in different ways of the Bible. If we're wanting to, to live in our way that we give glory to our Father who is in heaven, that people can say to us, look at that man and woman, they, they're an example. Paul said that. Look at me. Follow me so you'll know Christ. If we want to do that, there's some practical things that he says about Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, we see in Acts 18, verse 1 to 3, it's introduced. Uh, Paul introduces them, and they, they helped him be equipped for what he's got, got for them. Uh, he helped them, uh, or they helped him train him up and, and give him a skill. They were also tent makers. They opened doors for him. So if we're wanting to be uh, uh, this light in this world, in, in Acts 18, verse 18 to 19, it, it looks, you see that they pioneered with Paul, on still. They pioneered into, into, uh, with Paul into Ephesus. They opened the door. If we want to be the light of the world, we need to be people that pioneer and open ways for the gospel to go in. Now that might be you individually being able to share the gospel. Actually, maybe God's given you an ability to, in your job or in your, what you like or your hobby or anything, that He's given you ability to pioneer the gospel in this community where it hasn't been before. And it might mean you making the inroads and then someone who's a little bit more bolder to share the gospel will work this out. But you see, it's team. It was Priscilla and Aquila and Paul. It wasn't just Priscilla and Aquila doing their own thing. It was in team, in, in local church they were grounded and from there they worked these things out. They pioneered into the community. They pioneered into different nations, into different cities. Are we men and women who pioneer for the sake of the gospel. In uh, Acts 18, verse 24 to 28, uh, it, says that, uh, it, it says that they discipled Apollos, who was a powerful teacher. You see, they remained faithful to the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila remained faithful to what had been put into them uh, by Paul, so they were able to bring through and disciple this big gift. If we're wanting to be pioneers, what are we pioneering? Or we're pioneering our own kingdom or God's kingdom. If we're pioneering God's kingdom, God wants to establish His kingdom in our hearts so we can faithfully stay true to that so He can use us in a greater way. And I honestly believe that you're going to find yourselves speaking to CEOs of big companies, speaking to politicians, speaking to big sportsmen. You suddenly think, what do I deserve to do this? Well, actually... You've been obedient, you're part of a local church, you're pioneering the gospel, and you're remaining faithful to what God's called you to do and to the gospel. God's going to start opening doors like this. The next thing is um, in Romans 6, verse, verse 3 to 5, uh, Paul speaks about their generosity. And uh, he speaks of how their gener generosity was... was uh, uh, they made great sacrifices, and it's... Yes, they sacrificed their lives and their money to see the gospel, gospel go out. Are we going to be men and women who risk everything and are generous? See, risk and generosity have to go together. Is we have to be able to take risks in Jesus and in what Jesus called us to do, and we have to be generous. 
with giving, with tithes, with offerings, with time, with, with whatever. Whatever God's given you, you have to be generous to be able to see these doors open up. They saw this. These were kingdom-minded people. They knew that the gospel had to go there. So they risked everything to see the gospel go there, and they were generous. And they set an example for everyone. The good thing about you is this man, six and a half years ago with his family, risked everything to see the gospel pioneered here. Well, guess what you guys have to do? Generously get behind and see this happen because you're part of this body. You're risking with him. The moment you say, I'm part of Impact Rock, that's your leader. You're risking everything as he goes ahead. In team, he's under authority, he's hearing from God. Are you generously getting behind everything that God's called this church to do? Then in, in, in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19, it speaks of how committed they were. They were very committed to what God was doing. And then and the last thing is in, one, in 2 Timothy uh, 4 verse 19, they, uh, Paul mentions to Timothy this longevity that they had, that you're not doing this for the now. You're doing it for your kids and for your children's children and their children. You're, setting, you, you are, you're establishing God's kingdom so the rest of your generations can can uh, inherit God's kingdom on this earth, can walk in the bigness of that. So quickly, the second thing, the second thing about light, so the first thing was uh, uh, that, that we live out our lives, we be the light so we can bring glory to God. The second thing is the light is often used as an incubator often used to incubate eggs and they, they use a light and, and, and through the warmth is if we are truly light, um, um, uh, if we are truly light bearers for God we should bring forth life around us people should look at our lives and there should be life we should enter a room and they think oh no there's that Christian who works with us we're going to get smacked with the gospel again or your life should just represent life abundance of, of, of life it's, it's when, that, when, that, that, when the kingdom of God is ushered in like this river, it meets, meets the Dead Sea, and there's life. There's fish of all kinds. Great trees are, 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 are um, growing on the sides. There's, there's this amazing life that comes from the kingdom of God entering into places. Then the third thing is we need to understand that being the light of the world cannot be a burden. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Do you think a light ever, a globe ever wonders? It's so hard to be a globe. I just don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to you know, produce light. Do you think there's a burden? Burden. I'm being stupid because light, globes don't think. But light has nothing to do with the globe and, and the fitting and that. It's all those pieces working together with the electricity produces light. You see, all we got to do is be who we are and trust that the infilling of the Holy Spirit that having a relationship with Jesus Christ is like electricity and His light will just shine. It's a natural thing. Being plugged into God should be natural. shouldn't be a burden. You shouldn't wake up thinking, oh, do I have to be a Christian today? Oh, it's going to be so hard. Why do No, no. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you are, are, are trying to work out your salvation by yourself, it's going to be hard. 
But if you're in Jesus, leaning on Him, He's holding your hands. Wherever He takes you, it's going to be easy. It's going to be light. Because you're just doing what God's created you to do. So the challenge is, will we be the difference between Christianity and not and, and non-Christians? Christians and non-Christians. Will we be the difference of that? See, too often, people know churches and Christians by what they don't stand for, but will we actually be an example of who we live for? It's not, we against this, we're against this. No, we for Jesus, and because we are for Jesus, we love our neighbors as much as, no matter what, because of the love that Jesus has shown us, we love everyone around us. Will we be known for the difference by who we live for? Do we accept this responsibility and do we abide in Christ so we can preserve and we can bring life wherever we go? Romans 12 verse 13, I think I've shared this with you before, but it says this, it says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If we want to read Matthew uh, Matthew 6 again, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come here in Impact Rock, in Erie, Colorado. Your will be done. Are we willing to put on Jesus Christ every day and make no provision for the flesh and all its desires? It is easy by saying it, but do we truly want to apply ourselves to that so we can inherit the kingdom of God? So we can see the kingdom of God break in here? Because God wants to. I honestly believe this as you guys live in the most influential city in, I mean, an influential uh, country in the world. The, the USA sniffs and everyone gets a cold. It just happens like that. It's just God has created that in this world. And yes, you can tell me it's changing. It's not. You guys live in an influential country. But I honestly believe that the USA is, is, is developing a negative opinion because of everything that's happening. And I'm not on a political stance. I'm, I'm going back to a country that's got bigger political issues. You think Hillary and Trump's the issue? Oh, come deal with our guys. They're amazing compared to the guys we're dealing with. I'm, I'm getting on a plane and going home. I'm not pushing an agenda here. I'm pushing the kingdom. Because I honestly believe in, in, in this world, the tide is starting to, the, the momentum. I honestly believe God's preparing you for battle because there's a momentum shift that's happening in society that it's going away from uh, our hope is built in the dollar and in, uh, in, in politics and everything that that represents. And actually, well, actually it's not there. Where's the hope going to be found? Well, guess what the momentum shifting to? the church but are we going to be a true expression of church where there's life where there's everything that we see or are we going to be these weird wacky guys who are just I don't want to be them I honestly believe God is calling you to be authentic to who he is and what he's doing with you